my God, it's full of stars. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 140, and today we're going to be talking about 2010. This is the sequel to the great 2001 Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. And uh, this great and fantastic film stars Roy Scheider, John Lithgow, Bob Balaban, and the irrepressible Helen Mirren. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. They were going to name the ship after me, but I fell out of favor, Slover. <laughs> hey, Steve, in case Jeff goes completely off the rails and really tries to derail this show, I've got a little red calculator, and here's what you do. You put in 9-9, nine, nine, take the square root, and then hit integer. Even you could do it in an emergency. I think I could manage that. Yes. Very well done. Nice, Mark. You know what? I'm. Where is my calculator? I, I have to do that. <laughs> nice. All right. And, uh, folks, he's back from his uh, travels of state. Our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Hey, I'll cuddle with you during air breaking. Muncie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Hey, you know, I've had just a crazy week. You know, I had two um, unexpected days off due to extreme cold weather. And so during those two days, um, I had plenty of ample time to to watch this movie. And at no point between my epic World of Tanks marathon did I ever get around to doing it. So tonight I am here simply just to hang out with you two and uh, listen to this great and fantastic podcast live because um, – I have never seen this movie and no have no idea what the hell to say about it. You know, <laughs> there's there's one other thing you're, I need to say. You're to, as shocked as I thought you would be. Yeah, I kind of saw it coming, and I just have this to say: Son of a bitch must pay. You know, I, I will say, you know, I, I, I did stop by Best Buy. Um, I did peruse around there for a copy of this because I thought, you know, it might be worth having in the collection, even though I have never, ever seen this. Why? Because nothing seemed to possibly bore me more than some sort of story about uh, people in space on a ship and something going wrong. So, you know, after I saw Dark Star, I realized it was all downhill from there. You know, I saw the best movie uh, with Dark Star and uh, that this couldn't possibly live up to it, so I decided to punt on it. Okay. I mean, Mark, can I can I get an amen on Dark Star? I mean, isn't not one of the cinema's greatest classic movies? If you especially if you've done pot brownies and a lot of. <laughs> All right. So, um, I, but Mark, to go back to uh, your intro, my sole job tonight, after you hear the uh, the beverage that I have, my sole job tonight is to wreck this podcast. Well, you're off to a grandiose start. Let me just. <laughs> All right. Without further ado, take it away. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. And no thanks problem. for showing up. All right, folks, we're going to be talking about 2010. And uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, this is the sequel to the uh, Stanley Kubrick 2001 A Space Odyssey, which 
I don't even remember when the hell that was made. That was uh, 68. 68. Oh, yeah. Oh, you actually knew that. I <laughs> I actually am, am up on trivia. It's oh, okay. just, um, you know, story, setting, plot, production, music, actors. I can't think of anything else that I really have no clue about. And, Jeff, you know, if, if this ever happens again, just so you know, like this movie's on two ninety nine on Amazon, I will... Oh, is it two ninety nine? Oh, see, I, I, I knew I needed to go someplace and find that. You know, I, yeah, I, I did try Netflix. I'll I did front, try that. I'll front you the money, okay? okay. I mean, I'm good yeah. for it. I'm good for What's it. What's it called? Amazon? <clears throat> so anyway, folks, we're going to be talking about this one, and it's it's the sequel to 2001 Space Odyssey, as I mentioned. And if anybody's ever seen that movie, it is, uh, it's chewy, it's long, and it's, uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, if you can, if you can sit through it, I recommend it. It's, a, it's a visual spectacle. This one is obviously the sequel, different director, Peter Hyams. Did I say his name right? Yes. Yeah. Guy, just so you know, guys, if you remember, we saw him before. He did Outland, one of our, uh, very early shows. Great show. Yeah. Great show. So anyway, this is the sequel, and this is really done in a completely different fashion than they did with uh, 2001 with Kubrick. I mean, Kubrick, God knows what you're going to get. Hi, Ems, this is a pretty straightforward, I hate to use the word sci-fi because it's it, it's not sci-fi in the sense, it's kind of like what we talked about before, Jeff, you even brought the whole thing up, I think, when we did Total Recall. Is it sci-fi or is it futurism? And I think this is more of that futurism type of genre so that's where this one goes, I think. Unless you consider aliens or other civilizations science fiction, um, if you, I guess, if you if you believe that that is part of science fiction, then I guess this would be a sci-fi show. If you figure that it's just a fact of the universe and don't consider it science fiction, then then I guess it's not a science fiction show. I guess it's just like you said. Like we said, futurism, where, you know, this is just what we thought in 1984, 2010, we would, the technology we would have and the capability that we would have, you know, what we could do with, uh, with an interesting story. Right. All right. Uh, guys, before we get too far into the show, without further ado, I think I'm going to give you guys the Man Cave movie intro to this great and fantastic film. Nine years after the failed discovery mission, a group of American and Soviet astronauts embark on another trip to Jupiter to get answers. Did I ever tell you, you're like the bestest wife ever? My God, you're full of shit. You probably get that a lot, don't you, Steve? Quite a bit. I mean, I didn't even realize the mic was on when I said that. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was just a natural conversation between you and yeah, the wife. I didn't even realize I was in there. Just some pillow talk. Yep. That's love, isn't it? That's the man cave movie intro there, folks. That's, that's the best I can come up with with this one. <laughs> that was pretty damn good. Did you think so? Okay. I thought it was pretty weak sauce myself, no. but. <laughs> no, no. No, being, you being told you're full of shit, that's a winner for me. <laughs> Thank you, Deb, yep. once again. Yep, love you guys. So, 
so Mark, you've seen, I'm, I'm Mark, I know you've seen this before. Jeff, obviously you haven't. Mark, I don't know how, how long ago you saw this. Personally, when you brought this up last week, uh, at post show, I was really excited because this is, this is one of the movies that I've really, I've really enjoyed. I like, I like the look and feel of it. This was made in 1984. And I think, uh, one of the things that I do want to talk about, Mark and I were talking about this pre-show and then, uh, I, I want to bring it up, but this is, I think, a very well done movie in terms of the production value, the, the, the special effects for what there is in this movie. Uh, and again, I, I always say you have to look at it in the period of time in which it was made. This is made in 84. And Mark, would you agree that there, when, when you see, when you know that Peter Hyams did this, or even before you knew that he did it, um, this definitely has an outland look to it. Yes. Yeah, you, you nailed it. It's got that definite look and feel about it. Kubrick's original 2001 is very clean. Everything is very white and clean and elegant. And Hyams's take on it is, and, you know, it works especially for the Russians. It's much more serviceable, practical, um, not, not pretty, not elegant versus Discovery and Kubrick's 2001 take. I enjoy 2001 for the visuals, but I don't find that to be a movie that I've only seen once or twice. I saw this movie in the theater, um, and it's based off of Arthur C. Clarke, the author of 2001 A Space Odyssey, wrote a sequel, 2010. I've not read the book, or if I did, it's been so long ago I don't remember. I enjoyed the movie when it came out, and I have not seen it in probably 20 years. There's some parts of this movie, and we'll get into it, that I I, I find weak. Um, I like the actors. I think you've got some very great character actors, and I really like that a number of Russian actors are playing Russians, which is which is fun and great. They get a chance to shine. I think high, I think the special effects really hold up very well. I think they're very well done. The science in the um, in the in the movie is 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 solid. I, I enjoyed that, and I I, I got to go back to what you earlier said, Steve. Everything about it just has that high end take that if you liked Outland, you'll like this movie because it has a similar gritty feel to it. Right. Um. Overall, right. it's a solid it's a solid movie. I think the ending is the weakest part of this movie. Actually, it was as if they didn't know what to do to end it. But we'll get. We can get into that kind of stuff later, but good actors, great, great special effects, pretty good story, all in all. Cool. Uh, actors, and I kind of want to jump into that. I've got uh, some comments to make about a few of them. One in particular, and this is, I mean, this is just kind of a personal thing with me. I, I always enjoy any movie with Roy Scheider, and I, I will be honest with you guys, I'll tell you why, and... You know, for, for some of you guys, you probably, I don't know if you, you probably never met my dad, but he is literally the spinning image of my father. Um, you know, that, when you said that, I, I, that's who your dad looks like. Yep. You're yep. exactly right. Yeah. He is, especially when you see him, uh, where it really stands out is Jaws because of, uh, I mean, he's wearing those, you know, because my dad, in fact, I don't think, I think my, my dad was never big into the whole fashion thing. So, I mean, like the, like the glasses that Roy Scheider was wearing in Jaws, 
my dad was still wearing those, I think, up to the day he died. So it just, yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I'm about. saying? I mean, it was just those big ass, uh, you know, the, what they wore back then. So, I mean, when I see him in Jaws, it's just, I, it's, it, and I, I do, I look at that movie and it's weird because I always get this weird feeling like, I, I have to remember, oh man, that, God, that looks like my dad. And, um, you know, it's just funny because I watched this one and even some of the way how he reacts, uh, he's, even a lot of his mannerisms reminded me of my father, which is, I mean, it's really bizarre. So I do enjoy movies that he's in. I really like this movie. I would have liked this movie without him in it, but even the fact that he was in it even made it more. And I think there was like that personal connection that I, that I saw there. But I, I just always liked Roy Scheider. I thought he was a great actor. A lot of great actors there. A very young John Lithgow. And, uh, he's in this one and Helen Mirren, who is, um, just, I, I mean, she's an extraordinary actress. Absolutely extraordinary. And she just played a, uh, a fantastic part in this movie. Real quick, um, if you two could speak to your take on John Lithgow, because f- for me, John Lithgow as an actor, there are certain roles that, that, that I find that he is cut for. And there's ones that I, I really kind of have a reservation about. And in this movie, knowing about what this movie was about, I, I thought that there's only really one way he could come off. And so I wanted to hear what you guys had to say about his role in this movie and to see if it might match what I was thinking he would be in this movie. Mark, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think? I'm a Lithgow fan, but I really like Lithgow in this movie. He plays a very earnest, conscientious, caring engineer. And one of the best parts of the movie is his relationship with Max, the Russian engineer. And they, I wish there had been more time spent on it because those scenes, there's really some nice camaraderie developed. And I think Lithgow does a very good job. He's not, he's not a sidekick. I mean, I guess you could call him a sidekick because he's, you know, the character, one of the character actors, not the star. Scheider's the star, but. I think Lithgow just has a really great, solid, dependable role and does some of his best acting when they're crossing over to Discovery when he's panicking. He he just plays this real earnest, likable guy throughout the movie. Right. Well, I I have not seen John Lithgow in a lot of things. I, I've seen him in several, and it seems like he always, the movies that I've seen him in, he has always played a... Like fatherly figure, uh, you know, that type of thing. I, I, I'm trying to describe, but it's more like, when we think of the movie, like Harry and the Hendersons, or, uh, there was that movie way back in the, um, oh gosh, what the hell was that called? 30, uh, th- I was going to say 30 Rock from the Sun. <laughs> Third Rock. <laughs> 30 Rock. That would have been better. All right. Drink. <laughs> uh, well, and, th- and Third Rock and from the Sun. That's what, when I think of yeah. John Lithgow, that, those are the rules that I, I, I think of him in as sort of these corny type of actors. Right. And, you know, sometimes those types of actors can't, can't pull off the, you know, the kind of the serious role. So that's where I was wanting to see what you guys thought about his role in this. Well, I, so what I'm hearing is you guys think that the, that the, 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 the role of the character was pretty well written. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He fit yeah. the role of the character. I mean, the way the character was supposed to be written, he he was he was fine for it. But I'll tell you what: if there's a movie, if you guys have never seen it, and you know, we always talk about actors like range and and everything like that, you know how they may get typecasted in a certain role. If you've never seen the movie Cliffhanger, I have seen it with uh, Sylvester Stallone, and they're in the uh, in the mountains. Yeah, in right? the mountains. Yeah. Well, yes. John Lithgow plays a bad guy. And You're he, right. Yes. And, and yep. he. He was like creepy evil mm-hmm. and convincingly creepy evil. It, it was, it, I mean, if there was somebody that stole a performance in that movie, it was him. See, and yeah. I, I just see him as sort of a kind of creepy type of character. I mean, just, I mean, guy. And that's, I mean, corny kind of creepy guy. And, you know, so I got, when I was thinking of certain roles that he could do, you know, the creepy evil guy, check. Goofy guy, check. But I, again, I just wasn't. I just didn't know what uh, you know the, your guys' take was on on this sort of a more serious role. He was fine in it. I mean, it was because that's the way the character is supposed to be. So he he fit it perfectly. So yeah, yeah. It, it, I guess you could make a complaint that if there was a weakness in portrayal, is everybody was very stolid, stoic. There were no emotional actors every everyone was very professional and which is the way it probably it, it should be for you know this type of a mission with scientists so everybody came off as just very very professional acting okay. right across right. the board now the other actor that was in this is bob balaban and i've only seen him in one other movie and that was close encounters uh and that's that's really going back in the days so, but he was in this one and, you know, he played your typical computer geek type of guy. And, um, I, and again, I mean, if it's one of those things where if you were going to get somebody for that particular role, he was, he was the guy. I think everybody was very well cast in this. And I think that's really kind of what we probably really need to look at. I mean, the casting for everything here was really well done. I mean, I think Helen Marin, I mean, great. You would have thought she was Russian. I mean, she was, I mean, she had the, she had a great accent. I don't know. Maybe Russians may think she sounded like crap, but I she had me convinced. You know, I I think just to chime in here real quick that it, Bob Balavan is is really an underrated actor, and he's been in a ton of stuff, and people would recognize him if they're not familiar with him. He's been in a lot of movies, and he plays just very unassuming roles. But the one that you mentioned, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I I really enjoy that movie. It, it's written in such a way that you, you almost can't take it serious at times. But he, he kind of adds a serious tone or a serious level of intrigue into that movie. And I really, I mean, to me, he he at times steals the scenes in some of the in, in that movie itself. So I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I mean, what's your take on him in this movie? Again, uh, perfectly fits the role. I mean, the way the character is, I mean, you, you get an idea of what these, all these characters are like. And I think that's, and maybe it's just because I've seen this movie enough, but I mean, you go in there, especially the American team is, they're all scientists. And you, you kind of get a feel. I mean, you know, uh, Floyd is, I mean, he was like the professor, the head of the NASA, although they don't call it NASA. And then you've got, Lithgow, who plays Kernow, he's the engineer. Balaban is the computer guru who developed HAL. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the one that created. So, I mean, 
you kind of get a, they're almost stereotyped where when you look at them, you go, yeah, that's, I mean, you just, if you stood all three and go, okay, which one's a computer geek? You'd point at Balaban. If you said, who's the engineer? Oh, it's Lithgow. I mean, you don't even have to see the movie. You know who's, you know who, who is playing what role. So that's kind of the neat thing about it. And I mean, I like Bob Balaban. I mean, like I said, I've only seen him in two things. I, well, I, I take that back. I've probably seen him in other stuff, but I couldn't tell you what the hell it was. So. Well, another actor we need to mention is the bridge between 2001 and 2010. And that's Keir DeLay. Yeah. Who plays Dave Bowman and reappears in this movie, reappears, no pun intended. And what always struck me about this movie is he doesn't seem to have aged uh, a year. Thank you. I was going to say reappeared in the movie, did not age a year. He that- came through, he came through the gigantic monolith and for the movie and then went back into the monolith has, did not age. You almost would think that and i don't know i mean i because it's really weird because what would you say uh jeff the, uh 2001 was 68 8 8 yeah so i mean there's 18 years 18 years yeah and when and he you, was born in he was born in 1936 yeah right yeah. so he was not a spring chicken yeah no in the in in 2001 right and the thing is and in I really can't stress this enough. You almost have to wonder, were they, were, were there some other scenes maybe from 2001 that they shot and didn't put or whatever? Because, I mean, that is, that's a striking thing. When you see it and you go, holy crap, it's cured. Wait a minute. That, that's, it can be. He's not aged. It's like, it's like Frodo Baggins. You haven't aged a year. It's like, I mean, what the Perhaps hell? Perhaps he was wearing the ring of power. He must have been because the man was, and it is really weird. Or maybe it's just the, uh, you know, the magic of special effects and makeup because, um, it, it, it's an amazing scene. And that's the thing. You really do kind of need to see the first one, uh, to, to look at the, I mean, I'm not saying you do, but, this movie means a lot more. The intro to this movie about, what would you say, Mark, about almost good, not quite five minutes, but a lot of it is recap from 2001. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, they do, it assumes a lot of people never seen the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of assumption that people never saw 2001. So they do a lot of recap, a lot of the, you know, the text on the screen, scene shots and stuff like that. Um. So, like I said, I mean, you don't necessarily have to see it. I think the impact of this movie is much greater if you do see the 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 original. I shouldn't say the original. Well, the first movie. So, but anyway, um, some of the and the the other per- real quick. There's one other person that comes back. I think. Let me double check this. I think Douglas Rain makes a reappearance as Hal Nine Thousand. Yes. Yeah. The guy. The voice. Yes, he did. He did the voice in both movies. Right. I have no idea if he aged or not, but his voice sounded good. <laughs> I, yeah, his voice, ageless. Yeah, the voice was ageless. It's perfect. And uh, just a little bit of trivia off the bat: the uh, the voice of Sal that you see uh, earlier in the uh, in the movie is uh, Candace Bergen, uncredited. Really? Yes, that is the voice of Candace Bergen. So there you go. So, but anyway, just uh, we're way. At, 
way way off track here. Well, I shouldn't say off track. We we're not we, off track. We, we, we've kind of, we've kind of digressed. But basically, the plot of this, folks, is you know the first discovery mission. There was this monolith. They don't know what it is, and they there's one on the moon, and then they see this big giant one out at Jupiter. So they send the discovery out there to find out what happens, and discovery's run by Hal, which is this artificial intelligence that kind of goes haywire, ends up killing the crew, and um, and then just kind of gets stuck out there. So nine years later, there's a joint Soviet-American expedition that goes out there to find out what's going on. Although it's not really, I would say it's a joint expedition, but it's it's done very reluctantly on both sides yep. because. You know, this, this particular movie kind of shows, and again, this is 1984. This is, I mean, clearly, you know, height of the Cold War, tensions are high. You know, you had, uh, Reagan, Reagan in, in office. Um, uh, everybody thought he was going to nuke the world. And of course he was, uh, not going to do that. But, uh, I mean, that's what, that's what the feeling was back then. I mean, you know, tensions with the Soviets have probably hadn't been, that high since, uh, you know, JFK was in office during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So there's an underlying plot here that, you know, these guys are going out on this mission, but there may not be an earth to come back to because uh, tensions are real high where, you know, we may be going to war with the Russians. So um, so they sent out this expedition basically to go find the discovery and find out what happened to it. and uh, And that's pretty much where it goes. And it's it's a very interesting dynamic between both crews. You've got the Americans that are just kind of along for the ride, and then you got the Russians who are, you know, running the show or running the ship, I should say. And um, you know, there's a lot of distrust between both sides. And what's really neat, like Mark brought up earlier, was the relationship between uh, John Lithgow and um, the other Russian guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Mac. Mac. Max. And, you know, and it, it's really neat because it's like these two guys, I mean, when they first go out there, they still are too sure about each other, you know, but, you know, when, when a crisis occurs, they come to each other's aid and then boom, they're best buddies. So, and that's kind of a nice little touch. I did like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the few, there's not a lot of character development between characters in this movie with that exception and Roy Scheider and... Um, Helen Mirren. Right. Um, there's not a lot of effort made to develop or flesh out or have a, a lot of character interaction. It's more of a technical movie. Yeah. Why, what happened? Why did it happen? What's the mystery? What do we have to do to adjust to the changing circumstances? And what happens at the end of the movie? But it's, and it's very boom, boom, boom. It's not a character-driven movie, per se. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Mark, you know, we talked about the fact that this reminded us a lot of Outland. Yep. Mainly because Hyams did it. I mean, we'll talk a little bit in the trivia. But I thought, you know, even in the original 2001, and especially in this movie, I thought the ship designs were awesome. I mean, they looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. And... One of the things that I do want to really mention about this is the fact that, you know, again, folks, this is 1984. Uh, 1984, I was a, the hell was I? I was a sophomore in high school. So I was, uh, what, 16? So, you know, this was one of those movies that at the time 
looked fantastic. You know, the visuals, everything about it, it looked good. I mean, when you see those scenes of the, uh, the Leonov zipping around Jupiter when they, mm. when they were doing the airbrake, I mean, it's like, wow, that is awesome. That is really cool. I mean, honestly, I could sit there and go, I haven't seen anything that looked that good since, uh, Star Wars. And, uh, and they didn't have nearly the kind of budget Star Wars had. Now, you know, fast forward 30 plus years later, it still looks good. <laughs> I mean, it's what I'm saying. It's like, it still really looks good. It's kind of like Blade Runner. You know, you look at Blade Runner and it's like, it, it still holds up. I mean, this is, this movie's 30, almost 35 years old and yep. it still holds up. And it's like this one here. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff, but. It, it still really looks good. It's one of those movies you could show today and say, you know, when was this made? I don't know, uh, 10 years ago? Nah, 30. And I just really want to bring that up because a lot of the movies that were made in the early 80s, you had movies like this that were done very well. Uh, production value was very well done. And then you had others that were just, I mean, total shite. I mean, it just, I mean, you could literally see the strings carrying the, the ships across. I mean, they were, they were literally that bad. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, really, I mean, it, it, they just look terrible. So I do, I, I feel incumbent upon myself that I do have to mention that the special effects in this movie are really good. They don't overwhelm the movie, but what you see looks good. Now, granted, it's not the CGI stuff you see today, which, you know, anymore, it's like you almost take it for granted. So that's why I appreciate these kind of movies much more. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I was still struck. And like I said, I haven't seen the movie in 20 years. I was still struck by the quality of the, the FX in this movie, especially um, the imagery around Jupiter. Uh, it was really well done. The ships were well done. Pullback shots where you see both the Leonov and Discovery framed by the moons or by Jupiter. All of that was that it was just it, w- it was very well thought out. And I also like the look from a practical side of the set design of the Leonov. I mean, if you saw 2001, you knew what Discovery is going to look like again, clean right. and white. Yep. But I really like the way the Leonov looked. It had this functional. Everything was functional about it. Everything had a purpose. Um, it was a, it was tight quarters. It, it, it had a, the flight deck design had a, it reminded me of how the Nostromo's flight deck looked in the movie Alien. Everybody yes. had a place. Everything had a purpose. It, it didn't seem like we just have a bunch of people standing around a la Star Trek. It, 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 it seemed re, it seemed like, yes, this would be a flight deck on a, on a ship of this type. Yeah. Good point. Guys, I want to talk a little bit about some of the trivia because there's some good stuff here. And, um, yeah, I was going through and, uh, just going to tell you guys right off the bat, there's some B5 references in this movie. They're the only B5 references <laughs> for this movie. That's it. They're the only ones. So we're jumping ahead and we're going to do it in the trivia. So stay tuned. Uh, let's see. I, I mean, really, some of this stuff, if it's true, because I, you know, anymore I'm starting to take some of the IMDB stuff with a grain of salt, but, uh, some of these things I actually looked up and they are, they are actually accurate. But, uh, they talk about the futuristic computer that Roy Scheider is using on the beach planning for the mission is an Apple IIc with an LCD screen. 
the Apple IIc was a full-strength Apple computer with 128K of memory, two serial ports, and a mouse in a 11 by 12 inch box small enough to fit in a briefcase, which in 1984 was impressive stuff. Yep. Actually, almost unheard of. Uh, let's see. During the planning stage of 2010, uh, an email connection was provided for Peter Hyams in Hollywood and Arthur C. Clarke in Colombo, Sri Lanka, so that Hyams could regularly consult with Clarke about how to adapt the novel to the movie screen. In 1983-1984, such an email correspondence was practically unheard of outside the academic community, and it was certainly the first for the film world. Edited highlights of the emails were published as a book, The Odyssey File, in 1984. So there you go. They had email back in 84, believe it or not, folks. I wonder if they had the dial-up problems that we all did with AOL. And oh, my they- gosh. Well, that would sort of make sense. That I mean, the the maybe not the term. I don't know about the term email. But, I mean, the government had, you know, the Internet since early 80s, mid-80s for, you know, for communication in case there was, you know, you know, a nuclear war and traditional phone lines weren't available. So I'm sure that these terms were thrown around within certain circles. And I mean, who's to say that somebody didn't say, you know, that somebody wasn't involved in the movie. They said, no, let's put this in here. It's not classified. Well, you know, the thing that is, I was watching a, and I think it was in the movie War Games, and there was an old episode of Magnum P.I. that, there was this, there was this little gadget that you actually used the, remember the old telephones that used that, you know, the rotary dial telephones? Or, or, yeah. Yeah. You used to actually dial a number and you take the phone and you put it on this pad and then boom, all of a sudden you were like connected to whatever, you know, some mainframe somewhere else. Okay. And did, did you watch War Games recently? I have, to be honest, with you, I don't think I've ever actually seen it in its entirety. I've seen bits and pieces, but I remember there was something where, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Matthew Broderick was like putting a phone on some kind of connector. Yeah. To, you know, to, to connect to some other computer somewhere. So that's, I mean, that, that technology was there, but it was, j- it was for that period of time. I mean, very few people had it. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving on. The blue spacesuit, B5 reference here, folks. The blue spacesuit on the Discovery, uh, the only one that was never used in either 2001 A Space Odyssey or 2010, was later used in Babylon 5, 1994. It was episode 1.2, Babylon Squared, and episode 3.17, War Without End, Part 2. So there you go. I still remember the first time I saw those episodes. I'm like, those look familiar. Yep, I knew exactly where they came from. Yep. The helmets were giveaways. Yeah, yeah, the helmets were dead giveaways. Uh, let's see, that was um, uh, the Russian ship Leonov was the inspiration for the look and feel of the Omega-class destroyers in Babylon 5. So, number two, B-5 reference. There you go. Because all those, yeah, the destroyers, when you look at it, all of them, they have the rotating sections. Yep. And kind of had that boxy front end. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. Yep. Nice. Uh, let's see. Mary Jo Deschanel, who played astronaut Dave Bowman's wife, Betty, also played astronaut John Glenn's wife, Annie, in The Right Stuff, 1983. And yes, she did, didn't she? She sure did. And, uh, folks, we did The Right Stuff, episode 
Muncie, you're supposed to have this on the tip of your tongue. Just wrap. Are Quick, you- uh, access the uh, Beecham uh, index file. <laughs> or the, yeah, the Beecham index file. Beecham, yeah. The Beecham file. <laughs> the, the be- oh, there we go, the Beecham file. I don't know why you don't have that on Axe. You know what you need is, I need to, I need to put that on my computer. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, it's just epic. It's just epic. All right, well, I will be sending you the Beecham file. Please do. Yes, we shall. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Russian spaceship, the Alexei... Uh, <laughs> The Alexei Leonov was named for the cosmonaut who was the first man to perform an extra vehi- <laughs> extra vehicular activity, also known as a spacewalk. So there you go. I know you guys are fascinated with that one, so um, <clears throat> we'll just. Keep- well, but it makes sense. I mean, the Russians always. I mean, not just the Russians. I mean, most countries, you know, you know, name things after you know people of uh, of importance within their country, and you know, and the Russians are you know you know keen with doing that, so. You know, it makes perfect Russian sense. Oh, it's going to be a fun edit. All right, uh, let's see. We've got a cameo. We've got several cameos here. We've got Arthur C. Clarke was sitting on the park bench in front of the White House feeding pigeons. And okay. Stanley Kubrick is on the cover of Time Magazine as the Soviet premier. Yep. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke is on the Time Magazine as the American president. So there you go. There's some There's some interesting trivia there, folks. That's pretty cool. So, there we go. Oh, trivia is all done. And now, other comments. Mark, what do you think? I mean, Oh, the other thing I think we need to recognize about this movie, um, I think we need to talk about music. There is a callback to the original. They do, they do use Strauss, also Sprocks Arthrusta, uh, in part of the movie, but there's a lot of electronic music, which, I don't know about you, I think it's fine. It's kind of tonal music. It just hangs in the background. And it seems to be pretty repetitious. I think the only thing that really stands out is the the well-known theme from 2001, A Space Odyssey, that they reprise here. I don't know what your thoughts are on the music, but uh, I like you said. I think the original, the opening theme music. I mean, they pretty much borrowed from the, uh, as you said, the uh, 2001, the original. Yeah, I. I wasn't real impressed. In fact, I thought I saw something in the trivia about somebody else was supposed to do the soundtrack to that, and then they yeah, either one of the guys from Genesis was supposed to. Oh yeah, that, that it might have been much better because I'm not saying it was bad, but it's forgettable. And yeah. I I think a much better background music or something would have would have really helped this movie. And and I and that's saying a lot for me because I really do like this movie. Like I said, I own it. I've I've got it on on DVD. I actually I have a digital copy um, online, so I, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, the music when you bring it up, I mean, it, it again, it's it's it doesn't di- dis- um, distract from the movie, but it doesn't add anything either. It's it's almost to the point where it's like you could have really thrown anything in there. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of unimpressed with it. You know, yeah. it, it could have, it really could have made this movie more epic, I would think. It was just this electronic, uh, 1980s background stuff that wasn't annoying, but wasn't anything of value. Right. It didn't add. Now, I will say the other but, thing I, go ahead, Jeff. Carter. I was just going to say, but, but was it, um, oh, who's the guy that, uh, who's the director that did all his 80s, um, stuff that was paired with Kurt Russell? Um, oh, John Carpenter? John Carpenter. Nah. Was, it, was it John Carpenter bad? Well, no, because it wasn't, there wasn't that much of it. Okay. 
But you, but you know what? He actually, Jeff, for a guy that never saw this movie, it, it's a little close. I mean, you could almost say this is John Carpenter going a little dark, maybe. And playing with four chords. Yeah, playing with four chords and it, it, yeah, you're right. The more I'm thinking about it, this could have been a John Carpenter <laughs> score. Wow. Four chords. Yeah. <laughs> four chords. Yeah, well, Jeff, I'm like that? Green Day, which owns two. Yeah. Yes, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I, you Here's know my, what? It doesn't Here's matter. my shot across the bow, Green Day, for the week. <laughs> nah, you know what? She's over that. She doesn't care about that. I'm really not really focusing on your daughter as much as just that, just that overrated band. I yes. just absolutely can't figure out why they've sold millions of copies of their albums. I just don't get it. It's called terrible. Low, it's called go low, on. It's low expectations. Is what it is. <sighs> Man, uh, but no, I, it, it's, no, but you're right. I, it, it, there is definitely a, it's not quite it you know what to be honest with you it's a little bit more of the uh the sound that you would have heard in Escape from New York it it's okay. got that a little bit more of that brooding tonal like Mark said four chords <laughs> yeah. so no you know who needed to do the music for this if they could have gotten him would have been Van Gallus yes oh yeah if yeah. he had done it it would have been something we would probably would have owned yeah, but otherwise it's just four chords. Yeah, yeah, there it, it was very unimpressive. So, yep. But like I said, it doesn't distract from the movie. But it's it's just one of those. It's just almost like it's it's like white noise in the background. It's music that's there, so you can that there's that you know when there's no dialogue or anything going on, it's like there's something. So, yep. All right. Uh, well, that's it. You know, we've talked about plot scenes, actors. Um, the guy that looks a lot like my father. And let, you know what, guys? Let's move on to, brother, what you're drinking. Well, Jeff just can't wait. Yeah, look, Jeff, you know what? Since you haven't been here and you haven't seen the movie, you, you might as well at least tell us what yeah, you're drinking. I might as well, I might as well get some talk time in. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like you've been silent throughout the whole podcast. Well, you know, you know what? I'm I'm just here to, like I said, derail us and, uh, you know, I make you guys sound... Uh, you know, far more intelligent than, than, than I am. So, okay. So tonight I got some inside stuff tonight. I, I went up to, to Carmel, Indiana and had dinner. Wait a minute. A, where, where, where'd you go? Carmel. Is that Car- Carmel Booker? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I throw the softball up. You just have to hit it out of the park. Um, I went, so anyways, I went up to uh, Carmel, Indiana, went to, uh, uh, you know, a famous, uh, Mexican restaurant up there. And it, it happens to have a liquor store across the street. Um, it, uh, it is, uh, it is the opposite of, uh, of pay more liquors. And <laughs> now, okay. So I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, outside of, uh, of the liquor barn down in Kentucky, you know, I don't hold too many places in high esteem, uh, especially up here in, uh, and Podonville, um, where we still cannot buy alcohol on Sundays. Okay. We're the only backwards ass state that doesn't allow it. Okay. Um, anyway, so we went over there because my wife actually knows one of the people that works there through, through her other place or her, through her place of employment. This lady has a second job. And so why not work at a, uh, at a liquor store? One time I walked in the liquor barn and, and I, you know, I, and I saw the, the, the gates open and, and, and I saw, you know, I, I heard, uh, 
you know, singing in the background and, you know, and music playing when I walked into the liquor barn. It wasn't quite that experience when I walked in here, but I knew when I walked into this place that it was something special because I saw just rows and rows and rows and rows of individually bottled beers. And so I got to talking with one of the guys that, that worked there. And, and he told me that that store there, the, 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 that liquor store is the beer hub for this region for their company. Okay. Cause I told you that the local opposite of pay more stores near me, the scary place down the street here, they had been having a reduction in their, their inventory. And I, I just didn't make sense. Um, and so did that, uh, that store across the street that, uh, is related to, uh, you know, the 12th Amendment, um, by reciprocal. The, uh, so I just thought it was just people were getting away from individualized bottled craft beers or microbrews. But what he said was this, this store up here in Carmel was, was kind of the, they, this was like the regional hub for the, the beers. And then they have another store that's the regional hub for wines. Anyway. If you guys have not been to the store, it is worth the trip to go in there and see the aisles and aisles and aisles of, um, of, of their beer selection. Okay. It is, it is the most impressive thing I've seen here in Indianapolis. Anyway, my wife had done some leg work. She went in there and told the guy, look, my husband's going to come in here and, um, he's looking for porridge stouts. So. He was on it. And so I walked in and he, he started taking me around and he's like, you got to try, you know, try this, 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 this. And I'm like, wow, my head was spinning. And then he came to it and it was that moment. You guys remember and Pulp Fiction with the, um, with the, uh, the briefcase that glowed gold. <laughs> yes. Okay. When, when I turned the corner and I saw this, that's what I saw. I saw this <laughs> gold light and I said, that's it. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Never mind the never never mind the twenty four dollars and ninety nine cent price tag. Never mind this. Okay. One five hundred milliliter beer. I I knew. I said that is it. I grabbed it, and and I held on to it in case I found something any better, which I couldn't, and I knew I wasn't going to find it. So anyway. I brought it home. I popped it open. This may be the best beer I have had in the last five years. Epic doesn't even begin to describe this. Okay, here it is. This is from the North Coast Brewing Company. This is the barrel-aged old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. It's a stout-aged in bourbon barrels. Some have a very strong bourbon taste when it hits your mouth. Some of them have it on the back end. This is one of the most even bourbon beers I've ever had. It doesn't have a lot of lingering aftertaste. It doesn't hit your senses right off the bat. It is so smooth and it is so good. I would almost go up and pay another $25.99 if they had more. I got the last bottle. You know, I, fa- you know, I just kind of bat those baby blues and, and, and women melt. You don't have blue eyes. I do have blue eyes. Next time, look at them. All right. Actually, quit actually, looking Jeff, at, quit looking at my breast. All right. No, demonic red. <laughs> Blood that, comes out the corner of your eyes. That's Jeff, after, 
it's after a few beers and um, a night with some of our friends, yes. Jeff, in Mark's yes. defense, it's hard to see the baby blues because of the glare. Yes, from that- the top of the head. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> Because that's, that's all you guys usually see at the top of my head. Because, um, well, yeah. Three feet shorter than you guys. I'm glad it's not flat. Um, um, but anyways, um, so this one pint and uh, 0.9 full ounces of, um, of beer, yes, it's, 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 it's quite a pricey beer. This bad boy, I'm going to keep the bottle just because the label's pretty cool. This bad boy comes in at 12... Point one AVB. Two times. Yeah, that's 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 a double that's a double whammy there. I, I'll yeah. tell you what I you know what this this beer it it is it is it is amazing it is simply amazing I have I have gobbled this down in in less than basically forty minutes. And Jeff, you know what? On top of that, I'm going to give you this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This, it, it's, yeah, it is, um, yeah, yeah, if it wasn't for the price tag, um, and I knew I'd have to pay that much. But anyway, um, the, but the other guy, you know, the guy gave me some, uh, some tips on some, some other, uh, uh, through their website of some things to look for and to register for. And I, and I may have to do that, but, but enough about me and the, and the beer choice. Um, I got the double, um, the double uh, Godzilla with a, uh, with a gong. So, uh, uh, enough of me go on to you guys. Cause I, I want to hear what, uh, what you two have to bring. And, um, and then Steve, I need to know about the, uh, the Christmas gift that you got from your mother. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, Mark, it's all you, buddy. Uh- Going with a stout, Steve. Are you ready? <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> a Bellhaven Black Scottish Stout. Because oh. it's from Scotland, say- and if it's all Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> oh, how I've missed that. Um, if you've not had, I don't know if either one of you. I think I've previewed or reviewed this before, but if you haven't had Bellhaven Scottish Stout. <laughs> Find a four pack. It's really well done. It's a nice stout. It's a little darker, a little heavier. Um, it, it's got more of a roasted flavor to it, but it's, it's quite tasty. You know, and it's a stout, so it's only got 4% alcohol. Um, but Steve, you are, you love all things Scottish. So if you can find Bellhaven's, I'd suggest you pick it up. And I know Jeff doesn't like stout at all. So no, no, you know, I never want to see one of those things. And oh, wait, no. here's one. Wait. And another. So, good beer, Bellhaven, recommend it. Steve? Yep. You have a couple things to tell us about. <clears throat> well, I mean, the Bellhavens are good. I've, I've had that before. It's, it's a, it's a nice Scottish ale. Uh, pretty tasty. Uh, like it. Uh, guys, I am, I was kind of remiss on the beers today. I wasn't able to get over to my, uh, usual liquor store because I had a bunch of errands to run the day after work and all kind of things. So I never, didn't get a chance to stop, but I did have to go to um, did have to go to the grocery store. So, did you go to Whole Paycheck? No, I didn't go to Whole Paycheck. No, I don't go to Whole Paycheck. No, I, I drive by that place and laugh anymore, <laughs> only because of what you said. <laughs> no, I was uh, I went over to Kroger and I just picked up uh, and they actually they had them on sale. I think they're trying to get rid of them, but uh, I'll buy them all. I'll, I'm 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 all in. It's uh, I I I think this might have been the 
third time I've done this one on the show. These are the Diesel Punk beers. They're out, mm-hmm. of, they're out of New York, and I grabbed the porter. They had a whole bunch of porters left over, so I thought, ah, screw it, I'm going to get them. So I've been, uh, I've, I've knocked back about two of these. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty up there for a porter. They're about six and a half percent ABV. And I recommend them. They come in cans. I don't know if they do bottles on these or not. But, uh, I mean, it's a decent porter. Uh, they do. Do they, do, oh, they do bottles? Okay. Yeah, I was at a different Kroger this last week and, uh, and I saw them in cans. I almost bought some. I, tell you, I I like these guys. I mean, it they're reasonable beers. They come in four packs. Uh, the porter's good. The stout's better. I really like their stout, and the IPA is actually manageable to drink. If you're not, if you're one of those that's like, I kind of like an IPA, but not one that's actually going to make my asshole pucker. Their stuff's pretty good, so I highly recommend the the Diesel Punk. So uh, that's what I'm drinking today. Oh, and then the other thing that I had to mention, yes, uh, I don't, for those of you who have been uh, following us on Facebook, um, I, I'm not going to go into the long story about it, but, uh, evidently my mother has connections that I never realized that she did. And I, I made it, I made a comment in passing over the summer one day about, uh, uh, the, the fantastic bourbon known as Pappy Dan Winkle. And, um, you know, my mom's one of those, oh, dude, I'll get that for you. I'm like, you know, don't even bother. I said, you can't get this freaking beer. I, you know, it's, it's like impossible to get. I said, it's, it's just one of those very rare type of whiskeys. It's, it's hard to get. I mean, distributors, they only make so many and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> well, let's see. At Christmas, she, uh, I, I get this box. It's an Amazon box. I open it up and there's a, uh, there's a bottle of, uh, Pappy Van Winkle in it. And Did you pause and go, well, this is a cruel, cruel joke, Mom. Cruel. Well, th- there's actually a video that I can't actually put online. Well, I actually could, but I, I have to do, I have to do some bleeping, uh, some editing <laughs> because. Going, Holy fuck. Holy. You in front of your mother. Fritos. Oh, oh, yeah. She, oh, my mom. Yeah. She just, oh. Yeah, because I opened it up, and I guess, I mean, I watched the, the video that, the, I didn't even realize, Deb's taking a video of me opening, I'm just like clueless, I mean, I'm hung over from the night before I'm waking up, and it's like, bam, open up the bottle, it's like, and there was like this, it, 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 Deb's laugh, she's like, it was, it seemed like you stared at the box for like about a minute. It was probably only like, it was only like 10 seconds, and then, and then she says, you just look up at your mother and go, how in the f- did you get this? <laughs> Love it, mom. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, you, it it was. Uh, yeah, she she actually has. She knows somebody that works in that beer, liquor, wine distributor, and and she said, "Enjoy it. It's the only one you'll ever get." I was up at uh, at the uh, opposite of uh, Paymore Liquors, and the I, I I said, you know, gosh, I've never had a contact in in the liquor industry. I said, um, I said, hey, if you if you ever get a bottle of Pappy, can you give me a call? And they said, you know what, we don't even get it in the store. They said you have to go through our our warehouse, and you got to get on a mailing list or something, and they'll let you know when it comes available. They said they stopped sending it to the store. Because it was the most highly um, stolen item 
by employees at their stores. Well, yeah, because you could probably take it and sell it for, you know, three or four times the price. And that's like, well, hell. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You could probably buy it and still sell it and make a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Well, I heard empty bottles go for like 50 bucks on eBay. Oh, just the bottles? Just yeah. the empty bottles? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there we go, folks. That's, uh, and, and I, just so you know, I'm not drinking it right now. That's got to last me at least until the point when, I always said, I've got to have enough left in there when I get to the point in my age when, before they put me in the nursing home or I get to the point where I can't wipe my own ass, I'm going to take a bottle of Pappy, my 45, and I'm going to go find a cornfield and end it. So. We'll do the old yeller for you. Yeah. Right. yeah we'll do Somebody. the old yeller. We're not going to do with the old where the red fern grows or anything. <laughs> no. no, no. We won't, we will not die of loneliness. We will, we will huh. soldier on yeah. with your bottle of pappy. There you go. That's well, right. We'll have a drink to your honor, won't we, Jeff? <laughs> Keep on drinking. Yeah. Well, as I said, she said, you've got to say that because it ain't going to like, you know, that's the only one I'm probably ever going to get. You know, at his funeral, Mark, we're going to have to tip a bottle of Pappy over his casket, right? Well, you know what? As, as they're, no, as they're lowering me in the casket, just break it across the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll fill it up with wild turkey because we'll have it. And then we'll pour the contents all over your casket. That's the kind of friends we are. Love, yeah, that's nothing love. But it. Love nothing but it. All right, well there you go, folks. So you know what? We're all drinking, and actually, I think we spent more talking about what we're drinking about this show. So, <laughs> oh God. All right, folks, we're going to move on to clips. Our favorite part of the show. All right, let's see. I just you know none of these probably make sense, but they sound good. So number one, neatness. It's a good quality. You'll make someone a fine wife. All right. Uh, let's see. Number two. Mark, you'll appreciate this one. You know that we are building the Alexi Liano to also go up there. I thought you were going to call it the Titoff. Yeah, we changed last month. People fall out of favor. <laughs> How very Russian. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is number three. And, you know, I forgot to tell you, there's one guy in, that sm- in this movie that... Gosh, and I probably lost it. I, um, it was the, um, Mark, do you remember that one? The guy that, uh, uh, Scheider was talking to in front of the White House. His name is James McEachin. Yes, James yeah, McEachin. Much better. That dude is awesome. He played a great part. This guy is a very decorated, uh, uh, World War, or I'm sorry, World War II, Korean War veteran. Uh, came out, did a lot of stuff in Hollywood. Very, very good actor. And I really like him in the very small part that he had. He played it really well. I like this one here. You see that building behind us? I'm supposed to go in there to have lunch in a half an hour. Of course, there's one good thing about a reactionary president. He's not in the health foods. Last one, we didn't lunch. We grazed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Morgan Freeman. He mm-hmm. does sound like Morgan Freeman. And that's what a lot of people always thought is that Morgan Freeman was doing the voiceover. And what I liked about him is, and, and these are, I've got two other snippets from him. And 
there's something about him. It's I don't want to say it's a comedic element, but it's like a lightheartedness, but serious. I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. Uh, here, here's the next one, and this was the quote, folks, on the uh, Facebook page, uh, the hint, I should say. So, here we are on your actual brink. My agency is going to become a part of the military. I got a president with a finger poised on the button. And you want me to walk across the park and tell him we want to hitch a ride with those very same Russians. Have I missed anything? That's about it. <laughs> That's about it. That's about yeah. it. I, just, I mean, I can just, I can just see Morgan Freeman saying those words quickly. And the guy sounds exactly like him. Yeah, does. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one. What's going on here? What do you mean? Well, I may not be the swiftest guy in the world, even when I'm not hungover, but I do seem to remember a process where you people ask me questions, and I give you answers, and then I ask you questions, and you give me answers, and that's the way we find out things. I think I read that in a manual somewhere. That was the whole conflict between the Americans and the Soviets. Uh, Let's see. Uh, What do we got here? All right, number seven, or six, or whatever the hell I'm on. So here we are, nine years later, trying to figure out what the hell happened and, and what the monolith is all about. And guess what we discover along the way? The possibility of life of some kind, where it never existed before. I don't think it's electrostatic anything. I think something wants us to stay away from Europa. And I'll tell you what, going back to... You know, this movie and the production value. What I like about that, you hear, you know, the engines or whatever going on behind you. It's not like they're sitting in a little vacuum room. So there's always this sound in the background. Cause it is. I mean, it probably sounds like that on a, on a aircraft carrier or destroyer. There's Something always, though. yeah. You know, like the hum or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it. So. All right. Let's see. Uh, next one. How is air breaking? We're here. So it worked. Oh, I wish I could see that. I wish I could have slept through it. Mark, would you think that's actually one of the coolest parts of the movie? Th- that was my favorite scene in the movie. Yep. The and whole, the whole ride around Jupiter was just really cool. It, it, it is really cool. And did you notice, I mean, in its little touches like this, did you notice the whole time when Roy Scheider, I mean, he's in his bunk and he's got that, I think that was a Russian girl that he was holding on to. And yeah. at one point when the, when they're going so fast, the picture of mm-hmm. him and his wife, and it like slaps against the wall because of the gravity. Yep. Remember when they started slowing down? Yep. It, it fell off. Down. Yeah. It fell off the wall. Yep. I'm like, wow, that, that's neat. I mean, when you see that kind of attention to detail, that I thought was really cool. So. And that, that tells us how much there was some real thought by some people around a table at some point about how that scene should look and develop. Right. You know, and, and, and that's, I mean, that's how much heart I think somebody had go, you know, to put into this movie, thinking about how the little details. And that's how I kind of measure a movie is by the details that somebody's willing to put in there. Um, because you can, you can easily gloss over those and just because you're just looking at the big picture. Right. But, when you have details like that, it says, you know what, some, there was a lot of thought 
and some people cared enough that they wanted it to feel authentic or as authentic as we could as as we believe it would look. Well, and to your point, Jeff, one of my other favorite little details, and I'm glad you brought uh, that wor- that phrase up, that I always that that really struck me in this movie, and I said I haven't seen it in a while, are the patches, the mission patches that the Russians and the Americans have. They're very distinct for both sides. Are unbelievable. You believe they are mission patches. They are so colorful. They are so appropriate. Did you catch that, Steve? Yep. They're cool. I mean, they look really they, good. Yeah. The the mission patches just are uh, – you you would love to own those. It's so those, – they're so good looking. Absolutely. Like I said, this movie, for the time it was made, was way ahead of its time. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Clips. We are going to go on to the – well, gosh, you know what? We're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to move this over because I've got this on the script, and we're going to change this up. <laughs> what are we what are we what are we jettison? No, I'm, I'm not jettisoning anything. All right folks, that's it with the uh, clips. We are now moving on to the top movies of 1984. Uh Ken's not here, so Jeff, take it away, buddy. Hey, thanks Stephen Mark. It's good seeing you guys and, and listeners, it's great to be back with you. Uh we'll go through the top uh, 10 grossing films and uh just a, a few addendums to it. Um of 1984, starting with number 10. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not believe this. I sure as hell don't. Uh, number 10 is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Wow. Holy shit. Raking in. Yeah, raking in a whole $76 million. Number nine, a movie we've mentioned before we haven't covered, and I think we said we may put this on the docket, is Romancing the Stone. That's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah we'll do it. Number eight, The Terminator. Uh, number seven, um, a movie that John Lithgow was in, Footloose. <laughs> God. Ah. <laughs> um, it raked in a whopping. That movie raked in eighty million dollars. God, um, you know what? I hated it when it came out. Even yeah, then, oh then God, God, wow. uh, it has scarred me on uh, on uh, Kevin Bacon for the rest of my life. He was in a great movie. Oh, what movie was that in where he... Oh, um, Something Chance. Taking Taking, Chance. That's a great movie. Oh, my God. The story is... I dare you to read it, and I dare you to have a dry eye. Oh, my Uh, God. And I dare you to watch it and not have a dry dry eye. Right. That was... That was... Steve, have you seen it? Nope. You need to watch it. It is... it's, It's nothing but a story. It's nothing but a story. Um... A true story. True story. True story. Um, yeah, I, I know. Have I know about it. I'm, a, I'm. I'm aware of it. I know what it's about. Yeah, you know, be a man and go see it. All right, number six, uh, only beating it out by about a million dollars was Police Academy. <laughs> number five, a movie that I love as a kid and watched it more recently with my kids. Still love it now. The Karate Kid. Wax on. Wax, Wax off. off. Now, we have a significant jump from number five to number four. Um, uh, Jeff- and, and the- Jeffrey Son. Jeffrey Son, yes. yes. Jeffrey Son. 
Love that show. Anyway, um, so going up, so the Karate Kid brought in ninety million. Now the next movie brought in one hundred and fifty-three million dollars, and that gentlemen is a movie we will never do called Gremlins. <laughs> get a get a microwave. My God. Um, number three, um, you know, another significant jump of about twenty-five million dollars. Um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I like it. I like it. Number two, um, almost doubling in number, um, is Beverly Hills Cop. Oh God! <laughs> Another movie I don't think we will ever do. Nope. <laughs> um, until we get to about three hundred and sixteen. Um, and the number one grossing film for two thousand or nineteen eighty four was um, the movie we dearly love, Ghostbusters. Yay! Yay! There you 240 go. $240 million. Um, just a few addendums to that. Just want to run down. Um, that was also the year uh, that Amadeus ran away with the Academy Awards. Okay. Which not a bad movie. For what it is, no, it's not a bad movie. Um, actually, they, God, the guy that did that, I can't remember his name, um, just an amazing, amazing portrayal. Um Okay. Um, also, well, that was. I mean, that, that, I just wanted to put that into uh, into uh, perspective for us. Um, but um, I, the thing I did not know is "Romancing the Stone" actually um, got a number of Golden Globe awards. It did. I, it, it, for, in, including Best Actress um, in a Musical or a Comedy, Kathleen Turner. <clears throat> okay. And and, and Best Picture. And a musical or comedy. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So there you have it. I'm done. So, speaking of Academy Awards, this movie was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, and got none. Well, none. Yeah. Best none. start, best costume, best sound, best effects, best makeup. Yeah. But it got nominated. I mean, for a sci-fi movie to get nominated, that's this. This is true. I mean, especially I think during this period of time, um, you know, I don't think science fiction was taken real serious, but I think it would take a movie like this to make it serious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the thing of it is sci-fi doesn't get taken serious. I mean, I mean, you have to go back to like Star Wars where you saw them like sweeping. Um, I mean, they swept the Academy Awards and now, I mean, you're lucky if you get nominated. Well, so. but it didn't a sweep for a lot of the technical stuff. Yeah, but still, I mean, I, well, whatever. I, it just, I mean, sci-fi just always gets a short shrift. And it, and it does. It, yeah, um, it's bullshit. It, it, it is not taken serious, no. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Interstellar gets anything for this year. Have you guys seen that? I'm assuming. I haven't seen it and I've heard, I've heard good and bad. So. Yeah. I have to. I'm I, it's one of those, I will see it when yeah. it comes to uh, probably HBO. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it yeah. and um, and and just see what it's about. I know I watched that one with uh, I don't remember what the whole name of it was now. Uh, the 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 Bullock and Clooney one. Gravity. Oh, my God, there's two hours of my life I'll never get back. I, never, and I, I can't believe you actually didn't think about that before you watched it. Well, it was it was a free, it was a free movie that was given to us, and you know Deb and I sat there and watched it and went, "This actually got awards, really? Okay." But see, here's the thing: 
here's the thing that upsets me about science fiction. That's the type of science fiction that gets awards. And that wasn't even sci-fi. That was just like boring. Well, I was and, like to the point. Uh, I shouldn't like, say science fiction, but it is yeah. space. Space movies that get awards is is those types of dramatic movies that have no. From my understanding, I haven't seen it. Full disclosure. Uh, um, well, that you has you no basis for reality. Well, you're not missing anything. I mean, the whole thing is pretty much last man standing. How do I survive in space? Okay. Now, this is, I, 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 it just, now, the visuals, yeah, look great. Outside of that, the whole storyline, everything, suck. But I digress. Here's, here's what sold it. Two things. Clooney. Yeah. Bullock. Bullock. Yeah. Bullock. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So we are done with, uh, clips, top movies of the year. That is it with the top movies of 1984. And as you know, that was a sucky year for movies. For the most part. So we are now moving on to the... Wait a minute. Hold on. In 1984, one of the great horror movies came out. Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Love it. <clears throat> so we are now moving on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. And it doesn't involve Chud. Number one. <laughs> Did anyone jump through a window? I have no idea. Nope. Nope. That would be bad in space. Yeah. It, yeah. Nope. No one jumped through a window in this movie. <laughs> it would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad. Oh, oh, shit. Yep. That's great. Slower. <laughs> All right. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there an irrelevant female role in the movie? I have no idea. Yes. Mark, we're probably on the same wavelength. The whole wife thing was just created so that they had some sort of bridge to deal with time as passing and backstory of what what they were doing. So they threw the whole wife meme in so they could carry that forward. Nope, that ain't it. No, it was the androgynous uh, female person that he was sculling with during air braking. Her too. Both yeah. of them. Don't need either one. Nah, needed the wife thing. I, I like that part. Nah, the wife was worthless. Whatever. Alright. Uh let's see. Number three. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in the movie? <laughs> I'm gonna guess no, but I really have no idea. Oh I think Hal had a Wilhelm scream right at the end when when Discovery blew up. You know, I don't know. There was not one in the movie, so uh, there, there, there's no assumption, that, and we can't guess. There's no guessing in this, so there either was or there wasn't. No way home screen. All right, next. Okay, could the female role be better played by Tawny Katane? I have no idea, but I'm going to guess no. I mean, she could have played the wife. Actually, was she old enough to play the wife? Yeah, she would have been old enough to play the wife. All right, yeah, Mark Mark hates the wife, so I don't know why. She's kind of, I thought she was kind of cute and made sense throughout the movie, but I'm not going to go there. Mark, All right. you say she was moderately attractive? Moderately. Moderately attractive. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Derailing trains of thought from the podcast. All right, next one. 
Was there a montage in this movie? Jeff, I know I, you don't. I really yeah, have no idea. I know you don't. So I've got I, I got two words for you. Zip it. Zip, Sorry. Zip it. Zip. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I would say there was a montage in this movie. I would too. Uh, it's the whole after he told his wife he was going off to uh, a two-year trip to Jupiter. It's the whole training, going to the beach, riding, you know, running, all that stuff. Time passes quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a montage. Yep. It's a montage. There we go. It's not even a good one, but it is a montage. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's your classic. I mean, that's about as close to a montage as you can get. So, all right. Last, certainly not least. You have failed me for the last. That ain't it. Uh, that let's ain't... see. <laughs> all right. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. I had the mouse on the right click, but I had the uh. wrong thing highlighted. So, all right. Next. And so it begins. Oh, gosh. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? Well, I'll tell you what, folks. There were no actors in B5, but there was a lot of stuff and equipment in B5. So we've already covered that in the trivia. So, yes, there were major B5 references in this movie. I really have no idea. Yeah, if you'd have watched the movie, you'd have known instead of playing uh, whatever it is you're playing. World of, World of Tanks. Yeah, World of Tanks. There you go. All right, so there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. We are now moving on to the Man Cave Movie Review of this great and fantastic film. Would you like me to go first? Don't you have a World of Tanks raid to do Hold or on. something like let me, that? Let me, let, me look at, let, me, let me log on to World of Tanks while you guys are talking. Go on. Don't you have an artillery plan to plot? Yeah. I, I, I need, you know what? I need to pull that game up. Go on. Mark, what do you, you or me? Uh, go ahead. You were really excited about doing this one. All right. Well, folks, it's, uh, it, the torch has been passed to yours truly again. So I'm going to do the review of this great and fantastic film. And I will say I really do enjoy this film. I'm really excited that, uh, post show last uh, week we talked about this. Mark brought it up. I didn't think it was going to be one that we would have talked about, but I really do enjoy the show. Uh, I, I've got 2001. I've seen it. This is a very good sequel to it. It's a different type of movie than 2001. This one's much more straightforward, much more, um, dialogue driven. Uh, I think that's actually the key thing. This one's much more dialogue driven and it, it really holds up today. I mean, the special effects, everything is very well done in this movie. And the actors, like I said, you've got great actors. Roy Scheider, John Lithgow, Helen Mirren, Bob Balaban, they all did a fantastic job. A lot of supporting characters, too, which, I, I mean, I'd go down the list, nobody would know who they are, but they, everybody did a very good job in this movie. So, um, I would say as sci-fi slash future movies go, you know, this one's a favorite. I like it a lot. Uh, again, got a little bit of a personal connection there because, like I said, Roy Scheider is a spitting image of my old man. And I will give this, I'm going to give this movie a 7.75. And as sci-fi movies go, I think that's a pretty good rating because of the year it was made. It still holds up pretty well. Acting's good. Yeah, there's some stuff in there that bugs me, but 7.75. Solid show. Go see it. As a matter of fact, go buy it. I'll agree with you on the 7.75 and pretty much everything you said. 
Not to give the ending away, because I don't know how many people have seen this movie, I do think the ending is rather weak. Um, it kind of trails off and I think leaves more questions than answers. But that that's a minor quibble. I, I agree with everything else you said. And if you haven't seen 2001 and 2010, um, you should probably rent both of them and, and watch them. And they'll be enjoyable for different reasons, but they are both visually striking also for different reasons. But um, a good movie and um, one that most people are probably not familiar with. So that's one of the reasons we didn't give a lot away about the plot. Right. So take the time and check it out. Great. Thanks, Mark. And yep. uh, just a real quick shout out, Darwin. <laughs> Grats on the 3.5 second response time on the uh, the uh, the movie quote hint. I mean, that was... I didn't think anybody was going to get that one, but uh, very well done, sir. Yep. All right, folks, that is, uh, that's it with the Man Cave Move Review, episode 140. And uh, for our new listeners, I know we've got some new likes on Facebook, and uh, I've gotten a few new emails, uh, guys who have uh, said they enjoyed the show. Appreciate you guys listening to us and like us on Facebook. You know, share us with your friends. I mean, like I said, we're the... We're the three or four guys in our basement doing this, uh, you know, as fun as hobby. We're a nonprofit organization. It's all about fun. And we're just trying to bring movies out that uh, you guys enjoy. So that's it. That is it with episode 140 for the Man Cave Movie Review. Check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. They were going to name the ship after me, but I fell out of favor, Slover. My God, the podcast, it's full of bullshit. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Very well done. And also saying farewell and do the beaters, Ian. Even though we never saw the movie, but he talked more than any of us. Our very good and dear friend, Jeff. I'll cuddle with you during air breaking, Muncie. Um, thanks, Steve. Hopefully next week I will uh, be able to be here and maybe watch the movie and maybe have uh, have some talk time. There you go. Nice. You better be here. I'm I'm sure I will be. Nobody else wants me. God knows. All right, uh, oh, you know what? And I forgot to say, on behalf of our other good and very dear friend, Ken, easy as cake, Roni, he's not able to be here with us. He is he has been called away again on matters of state. Anyway, he is busy. Incommunicado. He's touching an obelisk in Las Vegas. He may say it's full of stars. He may say it's full of something else, but who knows? But you know what? We're going to be back next week. Until then, ciao.